Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, we'll pick up in verse 18, put your finger there, and then turn to Mark 11, kind of mark those two passages. I want to encourage you, we're further along the distance traveled uh, than we were last week. If you've ever had the opportunity to fly a really long plane flight, like say to Israel, where you're in the air for 15 hours or so, you, you kind of get really tired of sitting in that seat. You start looking for landmarks on the flight map on the back of the seat in front of you, uh, and you start to, oh, we're over Europe now. And then you finally get into that final descent phase, and you just can't wait to get your wheels back on the ground. Uh, that's how I feel. That's how we feel. That's probably how almost all of us feel. Uh, we can't wait to touch ground back here in the sanctuary we are closer today than we were last Sunday. And from some of the news I'm getting uh, from the Los Angeles County Health Department, also from Mayor Garcetti, uh, we're getting close to having some guidelines released for uh, our perusal to look at those uh, steps that will be necessary to meet again. And so keep praying uh, for our leaders as they make these difficult decisions in these difficult days Uh, But it's going to be sooner than you think, and we'll be back here in God's house. Uh, But until that time, we are blessed to meet virtually. And so as we've turned to our Bibles, uh, we now reach a passage of Scripture where we begin to look uh, very carefully at the role of faith in the life of believers, and today, the faith of John the Baptist. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, if ever there was a man Uh, other than Jesus or maybe the apostles themselves that should have been excluded from having to learn any lessons of faith, it surely would have been John the Baptist. Why would he need to have his faith tested? This is a bold and a brave man, a man who stood uh, in the face of tremendous adversity. And yet we find here in Luke's gospel the story of his faith being radically tested. And maybe you're in that place today to where your faith is being radically tested. Perhaps you're a business owner and you're wondering how this is all going to work out when this virus is over and we get back to business as is usual and we have a new normal. Perhaps you're looking at your mortgage payment and wondering, you know, I'm not sure this is going to happen this month. Perhaps you're wondering how do you get rid of your children and get them back to school because you've had them three months longer for a summer vacation than normal. There are many things that we're forced right now to deal with in the realm of faith that perhaps we used to just kind of skate through. And so I believe we as a people during this pandemic are having our faith tested. And there's some tremendous lessons here from the life of John the Baptist. And so would you pray with me? And we'll turn our attention uh, first there to Mark chapter 11 for a little bit of backstory on the life of John the Baptist. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible beauty of your word that reaches from 
2,000 years ago, right into our moment in time, where, Lord, our faith is being tested. Probably many of us are struggling with thoughts of unfairness, inequity. Why is this happening? How could this be? And so, God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you bless us with your presence in our living rooms and backyards, maybe in our cars, in a parking lot, wherever we're watching online? Uh, We just ask, God, that you would be present by your spirit, which you always are. And so speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You ever wonder what in the world the Lord is doing? I think a lot of people are wondering that right now. It's like, Lord, couldn't you just kill this virus? Couldn't you give somebody uh, a cure to it? Let me just say that even greats like John the Baptist, spiritually strong, very strong people struggled at times with their faith. And to that end, the Lord allows our faith to be tested. Verse 22 of Mark 11 begins this way, speaking to the disciples as he's just looked at this withered fig tree, speaking of the future of national Israel. And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, in her heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he asks. And therefore, I say to you, whatever you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. You see, faith is essential in the life of the believer. That's the plain teaching of Hebrews eleven six. For without it, it is impossible to please God. You can't live life as a believer and not have faith. And so the reason that James 1 says what it is along these lines speaks right into that issue of faith in our life. He says, count, brethren, it all joy when you fall into various trials. And so you're probably saying, well, well, Pastor Jeff, right now I don't want any more various trials. I don't want to see if we can make it another month. I don't want to see if I can survive this disease. I don't want to wear a mask anywhere that I go. But James goes on to say there in James chapter 1, verse 3, for knowing that the testing of your faith, not the testing of your wallet, not the testing of your ability to withstand these things with your own human strength, but the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. You see, as believers, we're going to have our faith tested. It is inescapable. It's mandatory training for us as believers. It is a required class. It is not an elective in the life of a believer that we should have faith and that that faith will be tested. And here's why. Because faith that is untested is faith that is unknown to the person who possesses it. You see, I need to have my faith tested so that I know that I can trust the Lord. Now, intellectually, I may trust the Lord. But when my faith in him is tested and I get through that trial and it is proven, it is there in that place that the Lord strengthens my resolve to continue to do those things which are necessary for the king and for his kingdom. 
I think one of the reasons the church is going through what it's going through right now with this pandemic is we are being tested. We're being tried. We're being brought through this valley, which is literally in some cases the shadow of death, so that we can see that God is faithful. He will preserve his church. He has preserved his church. He will continue to work in your life. He is going to take care of you. His word is clear to us in these areas. And so we have the example of John the Baptist, who is now imprisoned in this incredibly horrible fortress that is located in modern-day Jordan, the fortress of Machaerus. And he's in the well of souls. He's down in this thing that is a pit that's some 90 feet deep. It was originally a water cistern that was turned into basically solitary confinement for the worst of the prisoners of the Herods. And is there in the bottom of this pit, which also just happens to be the open sewer for the fortress itself, that now rests John the Baptist for not a couple of months like we've been under this shelter-in-place order. He's there for at least a year and a half possibly two years because he was bold in his faith. Because he dared to speak a word from the Lord. Verse 18, Luke 7, you can now turn and we can see the reason why John is imprisoned. And then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all things. It appears that John's disciples, not Jesus' disciples, but the disciples of John the Baptist, those that had followed him on his mission as he began baptizing in the River Jordan and preaching the kingdom of God. Notice what he did. He preached the kingdom of God and he preached repentance of sin. He didn't preach politics. He, He preached the kingdom of God. And that's what got him in trouble. He preached against sin. That's why he preached repentance. He said, look, we're we're wayward. We're going the wrong direction. John is not imprisoned for a political reason. He's imprisoned because he dared to speak forth the truth of God's word. Why was he there? Well, we're told earlier in Luke's gospel that he had confronted Herod about his sin. He said, look, you can't do this. This is your brother's wife. And because Herod feared an uprising, because that truth was true. He began to really think that John the Baptist might be the source of some political uprising. That wasn't what John was about. John was about the good news of the gospel. He was a messenger preparing the way of the Lord. And so when Jesus came, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now we have, interestingly enough, through Flavius Josephus in his book called The Antiquities of the Jews, an account of the reasoning as to why John the Baptist is in that particular prison. When you travel to Israel, one of the things that you recognize is that the Jordan River Valley is basically the dividing line between things that are lush and green and a desert that extends for more than a thousand miles. And so there in the land that was the land formerly known as the land of the Edomites, home of the Idumean rulers, the Herods. There in those desolate foothills is this prison 
Flavius Josephus writes in book 18 of Antiquities of the Jews, and now many people came in crowds to John the Baptist, for they were greatly moved by his words. This is a historian. This is not your Bible. Herod, who feared the great influence of John and what he had done with the masses of people that he might put them to his power and enable him to raise a rebellion, for it seemed as though they were ready to do anything that he should advise, he thought it best to put him to death. And in this way, he might prevent any mischief John might cause. And not to bring to himself any difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent when it would be too late. And accordingly, John was sent as a prisoner out of Herod's suspicious temper to Machaerus, the castle which he had already mentioned and was put to death. The answer is, John was in prison because he preached a message against Herod's sin. Not a political one. A practical one that applies to all of us. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so according to scriptures, Herod Antipas was unaware of what was going on in Jesus's life. And so John the Baptist, now there's rumors circulating that he had risen from the dead. And Mark goes on to talk about his imprisonment. There's this incredible backstory to this whole picture. And so you have Herod beginning to think these crazy things that, you know, perhaps John's going to come back and maybe that's who Jesus actually is. And I want to tell you, church, it is a really good thing when you get confused with being Jesus. When you're acting so much like the Lord that people think maybe you might actually speak for him or be like him, or in John's case, literally might even be him. And so Matthew actually records that as John had been in prison, he begins calling his disciples, and we see the record here in the first part of our story, where these disciples are actually given permission to go visit John. But as you look at his faith, as you understand what's going on in his life, we, we have this record of his imprisonment, and you can kind of see through the story that Mark unfolds for us that Herod really didn't necessarily want to put him to death, but John's witness was so strong that he feared what would happen. And, and so when others began to speculate who Jesus was, to Herod, he's going, man, maybe this guy, there's something to him. Church, it should be that for us as well. People should be asking the question, man, their faith is so real. What is different about them? They believe so deeply in this Jesus they preach that it's changed the way they live. That they have incredible boldness that their lives are so different from the world that you have to take note of who they are and ask yourself some very simple questions. Is that person that way because they're deceived or is that person that way because that's what they believe? John believed that Jesus was Messiah. And he wouldn't move an inch from that testimony. That's a lesson we can learn. John was imprisoned for his witness of Jesus. His faith is being perfected. 
Notice verse 19 as we continue on in our passage. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do I look for another? And then the men who had come to him said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? In other words, he'd been in that prison long enough that he began to even question, man, was I hearing from the Lord or not? And maybe you're home right now. And it goes, man, did I hear from the Lord or not? God allows our faith to be tested. John had a reason to wonder why he's in the bottom of this thing that for all intents and purposes is a pit toilet. And he's there for not a couple of months, but for a year and a half at least, possibly two years. Why would God allow that to happen to him? I want you to ask yourself a question. If John the Baptist could have his faith tested like that, when he boldly proclaimed the name of the Lord, do you think it's going to be any different for you or for me? You see, I don't think it's going to be different. I think we're going to have our faith tested at times. I think it's being severely tested right now in many cases for many of us. Notice verse 21, in that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, go try and depose Herod. Oh no, it doesn't say that in your Bible, does it? Go see what you can do about starting an insurrection or a rebellion against the government. Oh, wait a second. It doesn't say that either, does it? Go disobey every law of the land. Oh, it doesn't say that either, does it? What does it say that Jesus did? What Jesus did in the face of this time of tremendous persecution was that very hour he healed the sick. That very hour he took the burdens off of people that were afflicted. That very hour, he dealt with the evil that was in man's heart. That very hour, he gave sight to the blind. That very hour, he stayed busy about his father's business. That's what Jesus did. Now look what he says to go and tell John. Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. What did they see? They saw lame people made well. They saw blind people be given sight. They saw evil dealt with. They did not see political insurrection. They did not see an attempted overthrow of the system of the Roman government, which allowed the Herods to rule in that region as puppet kings. What you saw was, go tell them what you saw, and what you saw were works of faith. And then in case they missed it, Jesus says this, that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see, in a time of great testing of faith, Jesus said, now go and tell them that you saw the gospel preached. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I think there's a word for us here, church. I've been listening to people get 
rightly so, I might add, very concerned about the things that are going on right now politically. But I want you to notice what Jesus did in a time of political upheaval, a time when there was tremendous injustice against a man who had stood strongly and firmly for him. He did not encourage those disciples to go and do what we hear many saying today, which is let's rise up against the government. No, he said, go preach the gospel. He said, heal those who are sick. Do what you've always been doing, in other words. Our mission is clear. Our mission is actually simple as a church. It's to preach the gospel. That's the Great Commission. The Great Commission isn't a place, it's a purpose. And that purpose is to preach the gospel to all nations. Ultimately, leading us to be able to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so, be careful that you're mission-centric. The perfecting of John's faith was not to lead him away from the gospel, but to make sure that everyone understood the gospel is worth dying for. The gospel is worth dying for. The word of God is worth dying for. In this perverted place, this putrid prison, we find John being perfected. You would think he'd already be ready. That this hell on earth would bring heavenly changes in the life of someone who obviously was sold out to Christ. Church, we can learn so much from this. You see, the Romans still held the country. There was still corruption in their courts. The temple and its sacrifices and the way that they abused people still stood. The Herods, these Igemean rulers, were still cruel, still merciless, still triumphed over everyone and everything. The hypocritical scribes, the Pharisees, still held the chief seats in all religious life in Israel. The Sadducees still disbelieved the resurrection of the Lord. But Jesus didn't send a message back. So let's change the complexion of the government. He said, let's change hearts one at a time, and that will be the source of real change. Let's deal with the heart of man. Let's deal with the root cause of the problems. Let's touch them where they need to be touched. Because when you move to seize a political throne, you move away from the calling that we have as the church. When the church becomes a political arm, you're going to have to forfeit often the cause of the gospel in some way, shape, or form. And so Jesus told John's disciples, stay true to the mission. Tell John it's working. These people came in groves, droves. The, the word infirmities means chronic diseases. Plagues mean, it means acute scourges. You could kind of look at it in our day and time. This is a chronic disease that we face right now. And Jesus is saying the way to that is through life in me. 
The, the way through that valley is through life in me. The way to get away from evil is through life in the gospel. Look, we live in a day and time where, where evil is certainly growing. It's the reason that your Bible reminds us in the last days that demonic activity will increase there in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2. This is the truth. And we see it in our world. Connie and I often joke about we have 4,000 TV channels and we can only watch two of them. One is sports and one is Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. That's it. What else are you going to watch? The rest of it is, frankly, it's not worth spending your time watching often. So in that sense, in our world, our faith is being tested. We're seeing evil in a different way. Maybe you don't have a demoniac living next door to you. Perhaps you do. He says, go your way and tell them what you saw. We don't find Jesus trying to gather people to deal with a corrupt Roman government. We find Jesus saying, let's make sure the blind can see, the lame can walk, those that are sick are healed, and the gospel is preached to everyone. That's what we see. The Lord doesn't even explain why to John. He says, look, this is the deal. The kingdom that Jesus came to establish is a spiritual one with its headquarters in heaven. Not in Rome, not in Washington, D.C., not in Moscow, not in Beijing. The kingdom of heaven supersedes the kingdom of this earth. And so John's faith was was being tested so that he would stay true to the real message. The message that Christ alone can save. That we're not of this world. This world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. You see, we got to be careful, church, because we can get caught up in a lot of things the church isn't supposed to be caught up in. John, if ever there was someone who gave a vivid and absolutely stellar call to repentance, it was John. And he said it to the church of the day, the unbelieving church of the day. He said, no, 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 you you guys don't come down here. I'm not baptizing you. You first go and do the works of repentance and then come back and then we can talk about baptism. So it wasn't a lack of boldness. It wasn't a lack of strength. It wasn't, he wasn't standing up, but he was standing up for the right things in the right place at the right time. I believe the church right now needs to take this to heart. We need to be standing for the right things, right place, right time. Look, John's going to be murdered by Herod. Make no mistake about it, he's going to die. But there in verse 24, it says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? John was unshaken. He, he wasn't moved. He, he didn't go away from the truth ever. He was fearless, but he was fearless in denouncing the sins of the world and of the truth of the coming one, the Messiah. 
Now look, John could have easily just recanted. He could have changed to some capitulation to the political rulers of the day. He could have said, you know, Herod, I kind of messed up. Because your Bible says Herod didn't really want to put him to death, but he so feared the political insurrection that might come that he decided to be in his best interest. So John could have taken another path. He could have caved in. He goes, nah, it's really not about the gospel. It's about, you know, this. What the world needed was a prophet more like Elijah than ever. One that stayed true. And that truth was, let's deal with the real problem, which is sin. We're born in it. And without a new birth, we have a real problem. You see, that was what got perfected as John went through this trial. And incredibly, I don't know if you've ever pondered this or not, but let's pick up in verse 24. We find Jesus himself praising the faith of John the Baptist. But when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see, a reed shaken by the wind? Did you see somebody, you think you were going to see somebody that have one opinion one day and another opinion the next day? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Did you think you were going to see somebody, you know, dressed in the finest swimwear of the day there in the middle of the better part of the Jordan River, which would have been up near the exit of the Jordan River from the Sea of Galilee, where it's nice and clear? Or did you go to see a man who was standing in the muddy waters of the southern Jordan River Valley in camel hair garments, burlap would be probably an upgrade. Did you think you were going to see somebody who dined on luscious food or were you really looking for somebody who was so bold that to have the privilege to speak to the world, he would eat locusts and wild honey? You see, Jesus is reporting how he felt about the faith of John the Baptist. And it's a pretty stellar praise report. What did you think you'd see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled live in luxury, and they're the ones that actually live in the king's court. Verse 25 says, and then he talks about his calling. He's basically saying, but what did you go to see, a prophet? You know, were you kind of looking to, you know, maybe see some kind of wild guy? I say to you, you saw more than a prophet. And then he says, this is he whom of it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He, he quotes what the prophet Isaiah said would be said about Jesus, who will prepare the way before you. For I say to you, again, speaking to the messengers of John, the guy that you're following, I say to you, among those born of women, in other words, of humankind, anyone who's ever come onto this earth from natural birth, 
there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Look, a solid believer ultimately can have the kind of impact, a greater impact than the great John the Baptist. This is his calling. He's more than a prophet. And as John's demanding repentance, as he's speaking, look, this is, here's my career path right here. I'm going to stand down here in this water. I'm going to chastise the religious leadership of the day. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to spend two years in a chemical toilet, and then I'm going to be beheaded. Now, most of you are not signing up for that duty. But Jesus said, this is a man whose calling was sure, whose election was absolutely true. And you as a normal child of God can have that kind of power and impact in your world if you'll do what John did. And that's preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's let people know they can be healed of everything that ails them through faith in Christ. Does that mean everybody gets healed? No. But it means the healing of one's soul is the thing that has to happen. And if your soul is healed, if you experience that second birth, then the rest of what follows is going to be good. But Luke's going to be criticized for saying these words. Verse 30, that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. He says, yeah, we're not doing that. That's crazy. Why are you going to church? You could hear it in a modern way. You're going to do what? You're missing what? I had people say to me, you oh, know, what I miss is, you know, this and that. And look, we all miss certain things about life not being normal right now. But the one thing I miss is not seeing people in here to preach the gospel to. And I'm believing by faith people are receiving Christ even through these online services, that the gospel is still going forth. And that's what we've been called to do and will continue to do. But in this case, people might be saying to you, why are you still watching, you know, that old guy on TV? Why are you continuing to do that? You could do anything you want, but you're sitting down in your living room for an hour and 10 minutes on Sunday morning. You you could be watching anything. You could be gardening. You could be sleeping in. Because your life in Christ is the most important part of your life. What you take in is going to determine what you become. Verse 31, and the Lord said, To what then shall we liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? What are people in the world actually like without Christ? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another saying, well, we played the flute for you. Did you not dance? We mourned to you. Did you not weep? In other words, they were kids quarreling over kids' games. One group suggests that they play at weddings. No response. The other group says we play at funerals. No response. The people of Jesus' time were like that, uncooperative, out of tune with both Jesus and John. 
didn't want to hear the message of the gospel. That's why our faith needs to be tested. We have to keep at it. We can't be moved in our day and time. There are plenty of things to move us. In verse 33, and as we can close this time in the word this morning, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he's a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I say amen to that. But wisdom is justified by all of her children, but the wisdom is justified. You, You see what Jesus is saying. Look, you can tell what the message was like by those who were birthed from listening to the message. Jesus and John birthed eternal children. One who would give their lives for the Lord. One who would spend their lives preaching the gospel. Speaking the truths of the word of God. That is still our calling, church. That's still what we're supposed to be about. The religious leaders were exposed by the rejection of both John the Baptist and Christ. they're, They're like, we're not doing that. People are going to reject the gospel, but we have to keep preaching the gospel. We can't be moved away from it. We can't get caught on some other mission, especially not now. When we're able to gather together again, the one thing that you can count on in this church is we're going to keep teaching the full counsel of God's word and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. It's the only thing that ultimately matters. Eternity lies in the balance for you today. If you're watching online and you've not come to know Christ personally, we have pastors online right now that will pray with you, will share the gospel with you, will speak into your life the truth of this message that John was preaching, that Jesus himself preached. He said, unless a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. He didn't preach anything about changing the world. He said, change your heart, the rest will take care of itself. And I encourage you, let faith have its perfect work in you this week so that we might be complete, lacking nothing, ready for what lies ahead. There's still plenty of kingdom things to do, church. And I pray that we get engaged in them for the king and for his kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for the example of John the Baptist. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen each one of us to be bearers of the good news of the gospel. Lord, that we would be unashamed to call sin, sin. That we would preach the word without compromise. That we wouldn't get caught up in other things. We wouldn't be moved away from the sanctity of your word and the gospel itself. We wouldn't be preaching in that sense another Jesus. Lord, help us to preach you. Christ crucified, that's the only thing that can bring remission of sin. It's the only name, your name, Lord, is the only name whereby anyone will ever be saved. And so, Lord, we honor you. We ask you to give us faith. It's like John the Baptist's faith, Lord, just completely fearless. 
ready and willing to pick up our cross and follow you, to leave behind anything that you ask us to leave behind and pick up that cross and be bold. So Lord, we bless you, we praise you, we honor you, and we give you our lives afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.